Well, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome to the first episode of Movie Classics. My name's Larry. I'm David Rucall. And we love the movies, and we really love the old classics. So we're going to try to talk about movies. If you've got a movie that you particularly like, you are welcome to give us a call. You're welcome to email us. Our email is movieclassics at kdll.org, and you can call us at 907-283-8414 if you want to let us know what your favorite movie is or uh, just to talk movies if you like. I mean, uh, most people like movies, and David and I really lean toward some of the classics, and that song, Hooray for Hollywood, was from 1937 Hollywood Hotel. Right, David? Yeah, that's right. And uh, each of these films that we're going to be talking about are a little bit of the past brought forward, an artifact from each of the eras that we may be interested in chatting about. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we talk about, uh, we were talking about doing movie classics, and, you know, it kind of depends on what, what a classic movie is, because there are some contemporary movies that have become classics. As recent as um, Hugo, uh, the one that we've been thinking about uh, discussing today, uh, which was one 2011. Right. Not very long ago. And it's a great movie. And uh, uh, we would definitely recommend, if you like the movies at all, uh, and for some of you folks that have seen it, the beginning of the movie starts out with a young boy uh, in a train station, and it proceeds to discuss the, the inventions and the life of George Millier, an old... If, if you folks remember, and I, I bet you remember, Dave, I mean, we weren't around then whenever it was... Remember on. isn't the right phrase. That's right. Remember, we have, we have remembered the videos of it. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you folks remember seeing that, that big picture of the moon with a big bullet in its eye... That's uh, from the turn of the century, 1900 era, that George Millier did. And he was a pioneer in movies. And uh, David, what? Uh, uh, where, where, where do you figure? Uh, what did tell folks what they had? He had to do to get his movies well, going. He he was at the beginning of all the technology that was going to allow him to. Um, uh, make film, but he started out as an illusionist and somebody who simply loved magic. Um, when he he was doing uh, theater, uh, and but combined it with his interest in illusion, which led him to filmmaking and productions. Uh, he was considered the first person, first director who ever did a narrative film, uh, a film that actually had a story that he was trying to tell within it. Before then. They were phenomena, you know, like, oh, look, look, there's a dog walking down the street. Or here's a bunch of people that you never, you know, you might have recognized. Uh, but they were um, productions that were presented in theaters, but didn't have a storyline. It was just, oh, my gosh, look at that. Type yeah, of thing. and uh, one, of the, one of the biggest things that, uh, p what happened back then, too, is, some of the early filmmakers, for instance, like David said, there wasn't really much of a story. Well, they took a, a video, well, video, a movie of a train coming down the tracks. And it, as that train started to approach the screen, the people in the theater, 
that they, they all ran in terror. Yep. Because they thought Head, that train headed, was coming through. Headed for the exit. Yep, they headed for the exit. You know, so and uh, one of the one of the earliest movies, if not the first movie, there were two brothers called uh, Lumiere. The the Lumiere brothers, mm-hmm. Auguste and Louis, and they set up. They built their own camera. And they just set up their video or their their movie camera, watching their employees leave work. Yep. And I love that. What, I mean, these snippets can be found on YouTube these days. It's, well, as long as you are able to search with a couple of key words, you can find this stuff. And it's, it, when you watch that, you say, well, what a, what a remarkable view into the past uh, where I love, I, go look for the dog. There's a great dog in that little snippet. You know, I remember that. I've seen that. I know the dog you're talking about. Yeah, it's like you, what what little memory you know keys do you get from this stuff? It's it's uh, it's fascinating how many things we can learn from it. Uh, there's no question that that uh, these early films have been useful to people who are now doing contemporary films that are set in a historic period, just for the 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 fashion uh, that was you know, now portrayed and recorded. Uh, we don't have to, remember, you know, find this stuff. We can we finally had pictures of it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the as David said back then, they, the, they didn't, the movies didn't have any type of story or linear, it was just a picture of something. And David and I were talking earlier about, you know, until some movies came along, nobody knew that when a horse runs that all four feet leave the ground. They are almost floating in air. That's right. You know, and they didn't, nobody knew this till movies came out. Well, and, and movie as a scientific instrument, because at this point they were literally using a, te- you know, a brand new technology. What I learned uh, from, that was my bridge, Maybridge that uh, did that film uh, showing the horse airborne, uh, but he was hired by uh, Leland Stanford of California fame uh, to prove what he intuited. It was he thought for sure that this was a fa- you know this was true, but he not until they had the photographic record, the the movie record of it, that you could actually swear to it. Now, David, what if I remember correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that the unit that you you turned? It was a round thing, and it had the mm. slits in it. No, he he. I think he had actually gotten. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. That's where I'm okay. going to have to look that up. But, but but yeah, but some of the old movies, like there's one that just shows some strongman guy flexing his muscles. Right. Yeah, he's got the camera. Yeah. There. Well, and and again, this was a phenomenon. We we were being entertained. Uh, with just weird stuff, and uh, similar to a lot of the, um, of you know, what the circuses that were literally portraying weird things that you would pay money to go look at. Sure, you know? sure. Um, Edison, uh, with, with he, when he was developing his first technologies that were showing move, movement or motion, uh, ended up creating something called the kinograph. Kinograph, which is basically just a box that you would put money into in order to watch a peep show, and at the time, it's been a lot developed a lot since then. <laughs> but but he understood it to be sort of something that wouldn't go any further, and that he was going to try to make a dollar off of what he could do at the moment. That was in the 1890s. Uh, 
long before he actually ended up, you know, creating uh, uh, a uh, movie projector. And if I remember, uh, wasn't the first, what they consider the first movie, wasn't that, well, they had the horse in motion. Yeah. But I mean, with a story, wasn't that the great train robbery? Well, that was, uh, that was Edison's work. Right. But it was actually done by a guy named Edward Porter uh, in 1903. And yes, it was the great train robbery. And uh, uh, again, had a, that, that, pre, that followed uh, Millet's because, again, he was doing his work between 1896 and 1906. Uh, in his own film studio in Paris. And Edison didn't get around to doing the great train robbery until 1903. So, um, you know, he had, all these guys were working with knowledge of each other in most cases, where they were building upon what the previous, you know, effort had created. Yeah, and you know, it was so, it was so novel to everyone. And, I mean, we're talking about, about uh, like I said, the Great Train Railway was in 1903. Mm-hmm. We're starting to get telephones are going around the, the country and the world. We had, we had uh, communication cables underneath right. the Atlantic, um, which were, you know, again, uh, dropping into a modern, a modern world, uh, one that we would recognize in some cases. Right, and uh, people were getting electricity in their homes, they, and they actually had been getting electricity in their homes uh, way before 1903. Yes, and, uh, yes. That's, uh, so that's, uh, but that's part of the, but oh, the, that's part, part of the growth of society. People were filling theaters, though, uh, uh, you know, watching stage plays, that had phenomenal exhibitions that Millais was doing, you know, sort of stage yeah. stagecraft, uh, which he you know developed into film craft in a sense. Um, and then uh, back to, to Hugo. Hugo yeah. was sort of a, a wonderful film. Again, 2011, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. A modern classic. Very modern classic, but yes. by a master that we all are now recognizing as a contemporary master of, of uh, film directing. Um, it was a film that he uh, had always wanted to do because he wanted to do a 3D film. And I don't remember, I don't see it. When you watch it on television or on uh, your computer, the 3D feature doesn't come forward, but it literally, it was a 3D film. Oh, right. I didn't know by, that, David. I know, by Scorsese. Uh, again, a, uh, an old technology by the time he got around to doing it, but mm. always had wanted to do it because of the, uh, uh, you know, that, that whole aspect of the technology of doing the whiz-bang, you know, sort of uh, exhibition. Also, uh, you, can, you might know more about Ben Kingsley as an actor, uh, but I was amazed to find out that Shasha Baron Cohen was in that film in 2011. Yeah, Borat. And, and, Bor- and what a career after that. <laughs> no kidding. But he's a wonderful station inspector. Right. What a fun- just a, a great uh, a, a storyline in that film, which just goes six different, six different uh, parallel you know, sort of stories that were going on. And what's really neat about that movie, folks, if you haven't seen it, and I don't want to spoil it too much for you if you haven't seen it, but it's also the story, besides uh, toward the end of the story of George Millier mm-hmm. and his movies, but it's also the story of tolerance and yep. people coming together, people 
realizing that they're keeping themselves isolated, they're afraid to talk, and it it brings uh, the movie brings people together. A lot of the storylines are just just as charming as the as the principal right. uh, story of the young um, orphan and the post-war Paris. Uh, it was it was uh, set in uh, 1931. Uh, just at the uh, you know, sort of that was their that was the the date that Scorsese set for it. But at that point in history. We were employing, like the Cohen, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen character, a station inspector that was clearly handicapped from the war. Sure. And you don't see, you know, you that that was part of his character and his his anger at the world, uh, which eventually was softened within the community that was part of that station, right? which it, was it, a particularly cool station. I don't know if you looked at it. Oh, you, it's you neat. Were, you were really good. You, Larry, as a, a film buff, are particularly good at finding uh, locations. Like, where was this film shot? Right. And, and, and it's fun to go and do, now that we have the, the World Wide Web to use, um, it's fun to go find that stuff. But... Um, this was set in the the Gare Montparnasse in uh, on the left bank of Paris, and so you know it was. It, if you look hard, it's a t- terrific little tour of the the of uh, Paris, um, and the, some of the famous shots in this film are of the Eiffel Tower. Well, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't see the Eiffel Tower. From anywhere but where they're looking, right? Uh, and and <laughs> again, that's Scorsese knowing what he's doing. But um, what a cool little! Uh, I love these films that also give you a um, a tour of the of the place that they're they're being shot in. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, David, could you could you and you were talking to me about that, and I and I really didn't know this one. Uh, could could you? discuss what you were saying earlier the persistence of vision oh yeah well that's why you know both you and i are called film buffs not film experts right um, which is a good place to be (laughs) (laughs) we we are expert at chatting about film in most of the time in a cafe which is where our it's our natural environment but uh yes uh what i understand is back in 1824 and it's interesting, when you think of the 19th century, Americans always say, oh, way back in the Civil War, right? Well, the Civil War, as far as we're concerned, is a, is a modern uh, you know, occasion when you realize that it was 1824 that a, a scientist in England came up with the concept or uh, proved the concept that there is something called the persistence of vision. And anybody listening who could either call in or share their actual expertise, that would be really interesting. But uh, his presumption was that it had something to do with our eyes technology, our eye able to uh, see something over time with a, with a persistence within the, the eye that can add uh, objects up into a motion. Uh, fine, they finally ended up that it was actually brain tech, it was the brain that was able to do it and that we ha- because of our limitation we're able to be fooled into seeing the motion it actually is sort of a 
uh, it's not an accident. It is simply some, uh, the film is not real motion. It is a it is the what um, the the it's a it's a trick that we're playing on ourselves. Yeah, otherwise, we wouldn't know what the heck. You don't want to take a dog to a movie, <laughs> right? He won't get anything out of he it. He won't get much out no. of it. No. No kidding. And like David and like David said, if you want to give us a call and just talk movies, you can call us at 907-283-8414 or movie classics um, at, at uh, kdll.org. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know if uh, there's any particular movie you'd like to talk about or ask about. And we may not always have the answer, but we can get the answer. And one of the things, too that when we're looking at these movies, like I said, we we look at the term classic movies. And as we said, there are contemporary classics like Hugo, and let's face it, uh, Star Wars is a classic. The the first ones, three, you know, four, five, and six, I don't consider the other ones classic. Uh, Raging Bull is a classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Godfather is a classic, one and two. Those are classic movies. But you know what's weird, David, is... The first Godfather, that movie's 50 years old now. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. We are getting to become classics, Larry. That's, the uh, that's, for, that's yeah. for sure. You know, whenever you, look, whenever you do look at that, you know, uh, when we were a kid in 1972, a 50-year-old movie was 1922, and they hadn't got had yeah, talkies that yet. That was the first movies, right. Yeah, exactly. had, they didn't even have talkies yet, exactly. you but know. I, I've always enjoyed uh, and have been involved in restoring classic cars. Well... You can get a hundred-year-old car now. It used to be just an old car. Now it's a doggone thing. It's a hundred years old. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. And thank goodness we're starting our electric era. It's the uh, the 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 gasoline era is getting to be a. Uh, well, all right, this might get some uh, calls. <laughs> Was getting to be boring. Now we get yeah. something else. We get something else yeah. to do. But but I tell you what, if if anyone out there really likes movies or they like to study movies, there's there's my two favorite websites mm-hmm. to check out movies is one called the Internet Movie Database. It's imdb.com, and then the other one is the American Film Institute, which is afi.com, and depending on where you look there's there's two there's two thoughts on like what the best movie is or or something you know or 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 that well uh, under, under the American Film Institute Citizen Kane is always considered the number one best movie ever made you know and you start getting into the internet movie database and the difference there is the public gets to vote on what they think the best movie is, you know, and people vote on it that, that go in the site. So the the people that vote on that, they all say the best movie ever made was the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, because that's historic for them. <clears throat> yeah, and yeah. they and they love it with uh, yeah. with the guy. And I mean, 2008 Batman, The Dark Knight yep. is is one of the high up movies. But but you don't get down to another kind of quote classic movie uh, till you get down the line a little bit. Twelve Angry Men. Uh, which is fifth down the line, but all the rest of them are more contemporary classics. But you go to the American Film Institute site, and uh, the films aren't even close. They're not even close to what the people vote for. Well, because there's a, there's something about criticism 
uh, film criticism, uh, literary criticism, uh, and and the directors are sometimes. Uh, I, I think Scorsese even's been uh, noted, or he has been he has said that he really has been affected by the the criticism that came forward during the fifties and sixties, that the the film critic. Uh, you know, starts establishing standards, which now is, you know, is what a classic is can be measured against. And so I think the American Film Institute are using sort of professional attitudes toward film. And uh, uh, the IMDb is, like you said, uh, very, very um, t uh, about today's knowledge of films. I think right. you'll end up with a lot more modern films because people aren't watching classic movies yeah. or don't even know to. Uh, so how can you have an opinion if you haven't watched it? Um, right. Uh, that's the n nicest thing about YouTube. Uh, and I actually pay money to watch YouTube. Just oh, to, do you really? Yes, just to get rid of the advertising and such. But it's not expensive. And I don't have um, a television so I don't have to pay uh, for access to, you know, to th such things. I simply have to have Wi-Fi. And um, all of a sudden, you have the whole film in, you know, the whole film record available to you in many, way in, in many ways, even if you have to download and, and pay for the rental of a film. It's there. You can find it. And um, it, it's a lot more interesting world than the one that's being fed to us at the moment. In my in my opinion, sure. And when you go, if anybody goes to the American Film Institute, uh, like I said, that's AFI.com. They've got like their list of the top hundred movies, mm -hmm. and then there's a box next to those movies where you can click on it. They say, "How many have you seen?" That's cool. Yeah, but but when we're talking about that, so like I said, they say Citizen Kane is number one, and you go down the line: Godfather, Casablanca, Raging Bull. MASH, you know, Nashville, American Graffiti. There's great movies out there. So they, they, don't, they don't consider all great movies movies that were made like before 1950. No. They consider all movies. No, no, exactly. Um, I mean, uh, Philadelphia Story is, uh, uh, is one of my favorite uh, with Jimmy Stewart. And then you realize that, wow, that's a that was a funny film. That really caught my attention. Uh, and then you say, well, what else did Jimmy do? And then you start just looking up Jimmy Stewart film, and you come across all sorts of things that he did in his career. He may be famous for a couple of things, the man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, but he also did A Pot of Gold. And, yeah. you know, A Pot of Gold, who the heck has ever seen that? You know, it's going to take a minute for you to find it, but once you found it, it's a, it's a hoot. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. And, uh I'm not sure if it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, might, yeah. it might not show up on a list, but it is Jimmy Stewart doing a terrific job at being Jimmy. In and uh, Cary uh, Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's oh, a yes. good movie. In, in the Philadelphia story in particular, yeah, yes. Yeah. Anything with uh, Hepburn in it is worth looking up. Yeah, it's good. And then also like on AFI, they have a list of the top 100 movie quotes <laughs> that they that they – Whoever, you know, and like I said, I think it's this list is developed more not from film buffs, but no. film historians. Yes, exactly. For instance, the number one, you might be able to guess this one. You know what the number one movie quote is on the top of the, oh, no. the, top well, of the list? I'm sorry. 
It, no, I can't. I can't. Well, first of all, I don't know many, but um, no. What is it? Well, it's 1939. Okay. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a oh, damn. Oh, okay. Yep. Clark Gable. Yep. Clark Gable. Number two, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. There's all sorts of great things that you may have heard and don't know where they came from. Right. You know, Gone with the Wind. Most everybody can say, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that." I'm not sure any many people have watched it recently. Um, the the same thing, you know, with uh, the the Godfather. It may be out there um, to be watched, but I, I'm in a um, I'm in a, a writing class at the college right now, and that's um, been interesting. I sit in the back of the room and just watch these kids, kids, people that are trying, you know, trying to learn how to write, which is good, but the literary references that are made by the professor occasionally are really interesting because they go way, they, they go way over their heads. It's not that they wouldn't like to know about a particular film. They just have no access to it. They, they, what is old to them is, you know, 2018. Right. You know, when they were starting to watch something other than Disney. Um, and, and so this, if, if somebody's curious about uh, film history, terrific. If I'm more anxious to see people have more than the current you know, sort of selection offered to them, uh, offered to, uh, to each other to, to watch, because... There's a lot of things to be gained from watching our grandparents and our parents deal with their world at the time. Sure. Yeah, because a lot of these things, I mean, uh, what is the, the um, in Hollywood, the uh, canteen. Remember the, the oh, ho yeah. Hollywood canteen yeah. films? Well, that was, a re that was a direct reference to the challenge that the, they were going through at the time. What the heck is a canteen? You don't remember? Yeah. And then some of those folks, some of those old movie stars, they sign these contracts and they do eight movies a year. At least. At yeah. least or more. Um, so why, you know, why did we even have the genre of um, Western? You know, that, that is a, a doctoral thesis right there. But, but we can chat about what it says about the culture at the time that they were being made. It's not that not difficult to uh, to surmise, and and I don't know about you, David, but for me, and there's there's, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to belittle the movie industry because there's a lot of great movies out there, but I'll tell you, it just seems like here recently, it's tough to find a good movie. Well, it, it's it, just yeah. tough. You're talking to me about something that I deal with a lot, and that I I don't really want to see my current history. I, I mean, The Deer Hunter is one of the best films about Vietnam. Right. I really, uh, you can't romanticize Vietnam for me. There's a, uh, uh, whereas, you know, Dad did a great job winning World War II. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll do, uh, you know, I'll watch that all day long. Um, and not continuously, but, but it, you know, and then, as we were talking about the the uh, uh, Hugo again, I love to I, I love the idea of going back to 1931 in Paris and watching that the fashion show that was walking around in the in the the uh, st station, uh, 
And then it reminds me, when I think of Hugo, it reminds me of Midnight in Paris. Are you familiar with Midnight in Paris? I, I am. Okay. The, the, there's another great tour of Paris if you just watch it as a, as a, uh, you know, a tourist. Yeah, and some of the movies, you know, what, what a lot of folks, when you look now at the Internet and you look at international travel, so many of the movies, uh, something as simple as Roman Holiday mm-hmm. with Gregory Peck I love it. and Audrey Hepburn. You know, well, that still was, Rome (laughs) was still kind of a unique, people didn't know what Rome looked like. It was post-war Rome. Right. It was Rome with jeeps, you know. uh, It was Rome with, uh, uh, you know, having to pull itself up out of the the ashes of World War II. And, And just... Remark again a remarkable little slice. You could go to Rome today and try to duplicate that story, and, <laughs> that and would be fun. Do you remember the scene where uh, the the big uh, uh, god was oh. was on the wall? Mm. And oh yes, he, the, where uh, you put your finger in. Yeah, Cary Grant, mm-hmm. or I'm I'm sorry, Gregory Peck tried to get Audrey Hepburn, the 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 actress, their their parts to stick her hand in that hole, and she wouldn't do it. And he sticks her hand, his hand in, yeah. and pulls out a stump. Yeah, <laughs> and he doesn't have a hand on there, and she screams. Yep. Well, that was ad libbed. Oh, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't tell Audrey, Audrey that yeah. he was going to do that, and I think Gregory Peck just ad libbed that. Sure. You know, and she truly screamed when his hand, <laughs> and he just obviously had his yeah, coat his sleeve, sleeve down over his <laughs> hand. There are a lot, again, it's interesting. Larry and I can sit around a cup of coffee and chat about all sorts of cool scenes like that. Um, This is a story of a princess who had such a confined experience. Uh, She was being paraded around uh, uh, to various state occasions and with a very uh, established script that she was allowed to say. And ended up escaping the embassy one night and spent it with uh, a newspaper man. Who knew who she was. Who, who, who figured out who, who she was. Who figured out who she was, yes. right. And his photographer, who was his who was that character? I mean, the actor that played, I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, I'd have to look that one uh, up. Yeah, no, he's, again, a famous guy. But anyway, um, just the adventures that these guys had in Rome for one evening was, is all the, what the film is about. And that movie now is Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert, That's right. yeah. Yep. Eddie yep. Albert. With the photographer. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that movie now is going on 70 years old next year. <laughs> 70 years old. But, now, what does that mean to an 18-year-old? You know, it should mean nothing because right. the story that's being told is timeless and there you are back to definition of classic. I think if right. the theme, if the story, and if the quality is timeless, then we're on our way to calling something a classic. Right. And for me, the technology of movies with mm-hmm. the digital mm-hmm. uh, backdrops and all that stuff, that that's fine. But if it's a bad storyline, right. that does nothing to help the green, movie. Green screen does not help unless... It's critical to the story that's being told, right? And I got a friend of mine that I go, uh, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to knock people that like a movie that maybe I didn't like. No. But his main comment will always be, 
oh, but the but the technology in the digital was wonderful. You know, well, unless mm-hmm. unless you're a graphic artist or that's your business, well, I I don't care if it's the best technology in the world. If it's a bad story, it's a bad story, right. and uh, that's right. it. Well, one of the things we talk about too with movies is back then, you know, everything was in black and white. And that is actually a, now a lot of it was the the expense of filming in color. And one of the things that a lot of people have said that they don't, which is actually wrong information, is, for instance, is that Wizard of Oz was the first color movie. It was not. The reason why it was so much at the forefront was because it was a hit. And everybody saw it. And the color, 1939, the color was new to those folks. And they're like, wow. And it did a great use of it. It's a phenomenal use of color. Because you can, you know uh, the beginning of the film is in black and white. Right. And the end. And you end up having this shock factor of you know a, a house <laughs> twirling and falling and then bang you're in color it's it really is something else. yeah it is pretty neat and uh the also uh, you know so when was the first color movie it was a little british short eight minutes long called a visit to the seaside 1908 yeah was uh, what they considered the very first color movie and when you look at some of the Millier films, if you notice that, there's color in there. But what they did was they actually hand-tinted yep. each individual cell of that movie. And like you said, that's a movie. Now, Now it's a little different now with digital technology. But when you look at film and film strips, those are all individual scenes that the camera takes a picture of, and that's where that persistence of vision comes yep. in yep. from that. Now, I don't know if you could say that uh, regarding, regarding, uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, David? Well, uh, you mean in the, the, the peep show type technology, the kinograph? Yeah, some maybe the, so. Some, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Some of, those, some of those early technologies were uh, elemental, and you watch them today and say, well, shoot, uh, you know, I know what they're doing. I know what that is. That's, uh, and at the time, though, they didn't have any other frame of reference. Um, they were fooled enough. In some cases, all we're looking for is how, <laughs> how much can, do we need to suspend belief before we're buying the story? And um, the, the, there's a point with the technology. If you watch the original Star Wars... Uh, with the the storyline being you know uh, sort of rolling into the background, that when I saw it the first time was a whiz bang technology. It oh was yeah, a, I, that was cool. Um, now we could laugh at it. It's being lamp, you know, it's been being lampooned often. If you look around, you say, "Oh right, I got that reference." <laughs> um, but the uh, uh, you know we are always uh, willing at the point in time we're first being introduced to something to you know suspend belief and to buy into the story there's a uh, the the there are so many cases in star wars where the physics 
the basic world, you know, sort of the outer space physics doesn't apply. Uh, you know, and and the, and but the storyline requires a spaceship to somehow respond and make lefts and rights and turns, and there's absolutely no reason to have wings in outer space, technically. Right, right, and, and, and yet we need to have some of these a reference that people can understand. Yeah, yeah, that we can now say models, you know, make models of, and things that fly have wings. Well, things that fly in outer space don't need wings, and um, so there's, you know, that again, it's it's a reference that uh, needed to be made at that moment. Uh, some of the more modern outer space. You know, our, our orbiting, you know, dramas that we have give, uh, uh, to, to look at now are much truer to the physics involved. That's it's true. Very, yeah. That's true. But, yeah, I mean, and, and if I would can remember, I think the first movie that didn't represent a spaceship as like an airplane with wings or anything right. like that right. was Close Encounters. Mm. Their mm-hmm. stuff was yep. all different shapes. Yep. You know, because yep. it doesn't matter what it's shaped like yeah. in space. You're not. You got matter. nothing to push against. You know. <laughs> so, and that's that's kind of some of the things I like to do mm-hmm. when I'm watching a movie. And sometimes I have to watch a movie over again because I'll watch what's going on in the background sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And see what's happening back there, and see how that relates to the well, story. It's the same way we should watch all the. I mean, uh, yeah. that's all what, that we've been talking about. The the very first film, uh, Lumiere uh, filming his exit at the end of a workday. Well, that's not got nothing going for it other than f- the phenomena of watching your great grandparents walk out of a factory in Paris. Right, right, you know? and uh, and you know the uh, one of the things I want to. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I'm fairly passionate about this. Is I'm a firm believer in old movies that were in black and white should stay in black and white. They should not be colorized uh, because that changes. Can you imagine the man who shot Liberty Valance in, in color? It doesn't need to be. It doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. need to be. Um, and I think the colorization is, again, a development of technology that allows it to happen. Uh, there's absolutely, no, well, only a few people... <laughs> In the world that would be willing to sit down and hand color a film, a, a you know, ass, a, a celluloid film, right? At this point, um, there's no reason to. Uh, there was a point in time when they needed to sell more tickets. Yeah, you know, maybe so. Maybe I, I, so. I think that you know we had this thing, and we could sell a few more tickets if we. And Ted Turner it. was one of the guys who started this, yeah. and the way he did this initially was he bought the rights to the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you don't own the right, it's you like, can't uh, mess with it. I, and I think they've changed this, but I'd have to check. It's like it's a wonderful life. Yeah. It was in the pu- public domain. Yeah. When a movie's in the public domain, you can do whatever you want with it. That's right. So it got colorized. It to me, it changes the tone of the movie. They were filling uh, Turner. That's a good example of uh, when we were still operating in television world. Remember back when there was nothing really where you could access this stuff unless you had a television and you tuned in to a channel where the advertising was supporting the the film right. that was being uh, offered to you by Turner Classic Movies. Um, that was a that was a uh, television show in a sense. And I I love the thing I like about Turner is 
the backstories on the movies. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I will warn folks, like I told you, we were telling you folks about the Internet Movie Database, imdb.com, and the American Film Institute, is I sent the IMDb folks a memo one time, and if you you remember the movie True Lies with Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis, he's the... He's a spy secret agent. She didn't know. (laughs) She didn't know, and all that stuff. Well, somebody in the trivia there. Each of those movies you can look at trivia. Well, somebody put in there about what it took for Arnold to learn to fly a Harrier jet. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting. I'm going. You know, Arnold did not fly a Harrier jet in in this movie. And I go, how do you guys get this? So I, I now, I'm unless I see it at another more respectable site, and this is just Joe Schmuck, sure, you know, who goes on to IMDb and he puts something in there. I'm like, oh, for gosh sakes, Arnold didn't fly a Harrier, exactly. you know. So why is this in here? Why don't you guys take this out of this trivia section? Be, uh, you know, the, this is a f- the point of it being sort of self, not, it isn't self-regulated, but the, the content is coming from all sorts of sources. Uh, Wikipedia, on the other hand, uh, is pretty well policed, although it also gets wild things put in occasionally and needs, and, and needs to be corrected. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrific source of filmography if you uh, simply want to know everything about Jimmy Stewart. Just put Jimmy Stewart in in Wikipedia and stand back. Oh, yeah, yeah, page after Um, page after page. What I found interesting is the very story of IMDb, the Internet Music Database, um, started out before the World Wide Web. It actually was a a Usenet group in 1990. Now, Guys, we're talking about old films, you know, from the turn of the night of the, between the 19th and 20th century, and now we're talking about something that is omnipresent in a sense because it's available to all of our our uh, phones. Is something that started out as a Usenet group. Now, if you, that's that's ancient history. Oh right? yeah, 1990. And then it finally moved, but just just three years later, it moved onto the web. It had a website. How, you know, wow, technology moving that quickly. Again, three years. Um, uh, it was finally incorporated in 1996 by the founder uh, of the database. It currently has 10.1 million titles in it. And, um, but in 1998, guess who owns it now? I give up. Amazon. Ah, that makes sense. Amazon bought it in 1998. So you have to understand if you've got arguments with it, it's because we've got arguments with everything that Amazon. Well, you know, and that's a, I never thought of it that way, David. That's a, that's a really good point because when you bring a movie up on internet movie database, there's, if it's available, there's always a link to purchase on Amazon. He bought it just because of that access point. He said, boy, I can sell a whole bunch if you guys are You're not curious. kidding. And now with Amazon, you can either get a DVD, Blu-ray, or just digital. I don't have anything to play it except digital. I have no reason. I have no CDs in my car. I don't have a CD player or a DVD player or anything else. I've just got 
you know, my your, tablet now. Yeah, so you've got to see. So I download, I pay. Uh, when I want to see something bad enough, I'll spend an entire three dollars. Yeah. And rent it for the evening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can I can run a, a DVD on my regular laptop. Mm-hmm. You know that has a. Yeah, you got an old laptop. I don't have a laptop with a DVD. Yeah, I've got player. a I've got a DVD player in it. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's only two years old, but I guess I that's an old no, laptop. That's my, <laughs> my point. But is that things are you know we're we're uh, hang on because we're going fast now. Now, what one of the things too that uh, you know, and David and I we have we have similar tastes in movies, but David and I are also a little different with certain things. I'll give you for instance, and maybe it's from my childhood. But I love the movie with Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, Natalie Wood, Peter Falk, The Great Race. Mm-hmm. And you said before, uh, you're not too enamored with you, that movie. You remember. You remember. Well, there's a case where the storyline is... Keenan Wynn. The storyline takes up one paragraph. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, um, and, and, and you got it. You know, it's fun to watch these guys do... Something that you know looks pretty stupid. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's kind of stupid. Yeah, but you know, yeah. that's that's kind of my style too. I'll sit there and we'll be watching a movie at home, and Marty goes, my wife Marty, she goes, I cannot believe you're watching this movie. I go, it's it's about as stupid as you can get. And I go, we're looking for dumb, even dumber things. Yeah, actually, but so. my thought on a really bad now a bad movie that's made two years ago. That's just a bad movie. Right. But a bad movie that was made in 1952. <laughs> well, there are cult films all that's over right. the place. And that's another subject. That's a almost, we, we'd, yeah. have to, we'd have to do some research on that. Yeah, we can do that. But, but, but you know, for instance, uh, uh, for folks, we were talking about access to movies. And mm-hmm. you've just got your, uh, your, pay, your tablet and you watch those there. But, you know, folks, if you want to watch movies for free, uh, just go into whatever browser you use and type up public domain movies. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, a huge list comes up, and a public domain movie, it's just there. Yeah. Now, whether they have or anybody's posted it on YouTube or not is another story. But, for instance, uh, uh, Frank Capra's Meet John Doe mm-hmm. is, a, is a public domain movie, <sighs> and, and that's a great movie. Talk about topical, too. Yeah. I mean... The, we think we're in a dramatic age now. We can find a, a half a dozen of them if we just go back 80 years. You know? Yeah, and, and one of the ones that, that I'll watch that I'm not really sure David will watch is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> See, and I usually watch all these movies later in the evening. My, you know, if my wife hits, goes to bed at 10 or 10.30, a lot of times I'll wait till after she goes to bed to keep the torture at a minimum. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> because you're a kind guy. And, and you have headphones, I assume. Yeah, I've got headphones yeah. that, that I can... So it's not, but Night of the Living Dead, which was groundbreaking back mm-hmm. in 1968, it's public domain. So, yeah, just type in public domain movies and a whole list comes up. And I think, uh, you know, and, and I will fully admit that some of these old movies that are so bad, sometimes I can't get through them. And I'll watch first 25, 30 minutes. I'm like, I I can't, 
I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just too that's, bad. That's all right. It's, it's, just, it's just too bad. There was a whole series. We could do a whole series on B movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the time when you went to a theater and put down your money and walked in for that date night that you were uh, experiencing, uh, there were two, two features. Right. There was the feature film, and then there was the B film. And the B industry, the B film industry kept a whole lot of people busy in Hollywood. And if you look back, in some cases, they've turned into classics. Um, but they were always B, B film. Uh, they didn't try to be anything but B movies. And, and that's what we said before, that some of these guys, they were making some movies on a $25,000 budget, and they film it over six days. Heck yes. You know? And with contract players. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, they just, they showed up for a work day and did what they were told in order to get the next movie out. Um, they, you know, these guys, when you start seeing the credits on some of these films, you're going to have to do some research to figure out who the heck these guys were. Although at the time, they were contract players that were making big money compared to the guys in the, you know, in the neighborhood they were living in. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you look at Ed Wood's Yep. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yep. Uh, I actually watch that every now and then. Now, is it a good movie? Not really. It, but it's Bella Lugosi's last film credit. Yep. And Ed Wood just, he filmed on the streets. He had to run because he didn't get permits. So he'd film real quick and they'd jump in the truck and, and boogie <laughs> out of there. But some of the movies that have really, and I'd have to kind of look up a list. You know, you look at it, you look at a movie that they spend $150 million on and... It's a bomb or a break, you know, because if it if it makes one hundred fifty million dollars or if it's cost one hundred fifty, and they make one sixty, that's a failure. It's a failure. That's a failure. But you look at some of these old movies where they put thirty three thousand dollars in it, and it has returned one point six million. Yes. You know, yes. and that some of those guys are actually uh, they they and they they did it where a story people wanted to hear and see. They were operating in a world where um, uh, we were literate in actually more than we are now. Um, the uh, familiarity with classic stories, uh, they were familiar with Dickens. And so if you wanted to do a film uh, that was based on a Charles Dickens book, you had an audience that already knew what the line was, you know, and was looking forward to having it told to them in a particular way right. on, on film. Uh, there are all sorts of, of elements of the culture of that day that you can speak to uh, in researching a film or in appreciating a film for what it is. Yeah, and folks, we're, we're kind of coming up to, uh, we've only got four and a half minutes left, and we certainly hope you're enjoying this. And uh, David and I, um, this first show is just a little bit of everything. And I think what we'll do, like David said, we could do an entire show on B-movies. Uh, and when you look at all the film, what's called the film genres out there, oh my gosh, we could uh, we could do years of shows on, on genres. Uh, be it science fiction, drama, comedy drama, westerns. We could do, we could do an entire session on just using Midnight in Paris because of all the other references that is in that film. Right. You could carry on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could. 
And that's a that's a fairly modern film. You know, we're not dealing with something that's ancient. You, yeah, that was uh, watched it. wasn't that eleven? Yeah, twenty eleven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so so anyway, uh, we wanna we wanna get talking a little bit about everything. This was just kind of a test run. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'd sure love to get a phone call. We'd love to get some emails from you. Let us know what you like. And as we wind down a little bit, David, do you have an actual? Not counting all the genres, do you have an actual favorite movie that you can think of? You've asked me that before. I have. I don't. Um, I, uh, I, off the top of my head, I'll watch anything Catherine Hepburn was in. Okay. And for me, my number one movie, it, it's always a tough one, but I still lean toward... Uh, Oh, uh, golly. I just I can't. No. Well, we'll remember uh, that one and come back next time. Yeah, no kidding, it. no kidding. I, I do enjoy uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. That's the one I couldn't think uh-huh. of there, Gregory Peck and, yeah. and stuff. That's the one that I really like. And and uh, But uh, genres, science fiction, my favorite is Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, so, yeah, folks, we can talk about all these genres and subgenres. And we'd love to hear from you and let us know what you'd like for us to talk about. And as David said earlier, uh, there's got to be some of you guys out there that are well more experienced than we are. And if you've got any facts, facts and <laughs> update, uh, we'd we'd love to hear it. You know, and uh, maybe we can get one of the uh, historians at the college who teaches maybe a film class. All righty. Well, folks, the phone's ringing, but we've only got one minute left. So I apologize if you'll if you'll hang with me for a minute. I will answer the phone, uh, but we've only got one minute left, and I don't feel like we've got enough time to actually discuss anything. But we'll uh, talk to you. Yeah, we'd be glad to talk to you. I mean, uh, oh, and they left the line already. So go ahead and... You know, go go ahead and give us a call back if you want. Or call call next time. We'll be here a month from now, the third Saturday of the month. And uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed this. We'd love to have you give us a buzz. And, David, thanks for doing this. I think, David. Glad. glad I love it. Yeah. And uh, next time we're here, we're going to have to use our snow boots. Boy, that's a possibility. But, yeah, we'll, we'll start getting in this first show. We're just talking about some basics. We'll start getting into maybe some of the, the history of movies, the genres of movies, and uh, the social commentary that they make. 